0: off the fence. My name is James Fox. We've got Alex Maskell here too. What's up, everyone? It's conference season. It's happening. The Lib Dems are here in Brighton.
1: They've done it, folks.
0: They're here. And they're saying that Britain deserves better.
1: Yeah, they deserve better than a supposedly dull and dreary vision offered by the Conservatives and Labour, which good to know that they all of a sudden find jeremy corgan's platform quite boring
0: yeah well i mean even just the the slogan deserves better like that written up the britain deserves better is i I think it's been pointed out by a few people that's a little bit like it's not been thought through right when when you've got vince cable standing in front of the slogan britain deserves better (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: it's not working out the way they think it will not to mention, like, deserves better than what? One of the parties of government from, like, the... La- from one of the, like, most yeah. recent governments?
0: What, what was the uh, tweet that you just read out to me before we started? Joe Swinson saying... I think she's also said that the Lib Dems need to own up to austerity, um, Andrew Lansley's NHS reforms, um, a, a bunch of stuff that's, like, a big, big part of why people can't forgive them for the coalition. Yeah. But she's also said...
1: She's also said, this is not good enough. Britain deserves better from its leaders than the dull and dreary vision on offer from the Conservatives and Labour. We demand better. Okay. Again, like, I don't know how you could reasonably call, like, the current, like, Labour <laughs> platform dull or dreary. Yeah, it's-
0: I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone that disagrees with it and trying to claim that it's dull and dreary. It's, it's certainly not that. You can disagree with it, but it's... I mean, I
1: would assume that the dullness and dreariness is like a lack of uh, Labour's desire to actively push for a people's referendum or something like that. Maybe maybe she's trying to move the Liberal Democrats back onto the left, yeah. where, you know, obviously the, their most successful period was when New Labour were in charge and the Liberal Democrats were the most left-wing party available. Mm-hmm. And obviously now under Corbyn, that's completely changed. But, like, maybe that's the direction she's trying to go in. Who knows?
0: Something else that happened this week that we saw, it was, I mean, it was pretty big in US news. Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort being the ex-campaign chair of Donald Trump's presidential bid. Big
1: big fan of incredibly expensive jackets.
0: He has been done in for charges of money laundering. Yeah, he's been done
1: in for charges of being exactly as corrupt as every other lobbyist in D.C., but just happening to be on a side that people don't like now.
0: And, I mean, he is like uh, an eternally shady figure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, but he, he was going in for sort of maybe 70, 80 years, probably going to get off with way less than that. But anyway, he got done in quite a lot following the Mueller investigation into Russian um, collusion or Rus- Russian meddling in the 2016 presidential election. Um, he, this week, flipped and is now cooperating with the investigation, which is... Quite a big deal, Alex. Would you agree?
1: Uh yeah, I'd basically agree. This this guy knows where all the bodies are buried as far <laughs> as DC in general goes. And so, like, there's a part of me that is like I'm, I'm not entirely sure where he's going to go with this, but yeah, it certainly seem it's it's certainly a really big step that we haven't seen from before. If he says, like presumably if uh, the investigation has accepted this. There is something there that he has to offer that is genuinely juicy. Like I'm hoping that they didn't give this absolute ghoul, like an actual an like get yeah, yeah. get out a free card basically to get off anyone else with like a light precedent. But I don't know. It's just it's genuinely like it's it's genuinely encouraging that you know, he is in a position to flip that. They had him bang to rights, and that presumably, like I say, that he has something to offer.
0: And one last thing that we're going to mention now: this just like absolute ridiculous show of face from Stephen Pollard. And we've mentioned him on the show before. He is the editor, I believe, of the Jewish Chronicle, the JC for short, which... And JC
1: has been quite a topic there. Yes. <laughs>
0: um, he's been, you know, a long-standing massive critic of Jeremy Corbyn, probably one of the most prominent ones in the news media.
1: Also one of the most strident. He fully believes Jeremy Corbyn is an anti-Semite and that, uh, like, all British Jews are under threat if he gets into power.
0: Yeah. So... Um, he had a quick take this week that he got a lot lot of stick for and I'm going to be honest made him look like a bit of an idiot. And let's remember he is, as we've said on this program before, an Islamophobe. He's on record of, of praising uh, Douglas Murray's recent book and also, you know, describing the Iran-Iraq war as basically comparing it to a football match in the UK saying you don't really want either side to win. Uh, a war where half a million people died. You know, he's on record saying, you know, some quite problematic things towards yeah, yeah, yeah. Muslims.
1: Yeah, Like, we'll get into the actual, like, criticism of what he's saying, but just in general, remember yeah. that this guy is a deeply bigoted person to whom, like, you know, Muslim lives mean absolutely nothing.
0: So he's responding to this video put out by Jeremy Corbyn this week. And you know what? I'm not going to try and paraphrase the video. It's a minute and a half long. It's 10 years since the financial crisis. I'm just going to play the video now. You can read from that what it's actually about.
2: Bankers like Morgan Stanley should not run our country, but they think they do, because the party they fund and protects their interests, the Conservative Party, is in Downing Street. That's why they want to keep the Tories there, because their rigged economy and their tax cuts for the richest work for them. These are the same speculators and gamblers who crashed our economy in 2008 and then we had to bail them out. Their greed plunged the world into crisis and we're still paying the price. Because the Tories used the aftermath of the financial crisis to push through unnecessary and deeply damaging austerity. That's meant a crisis in our public services, falling wages and the longest decline in living standards for over 60 years. Nurses, teachers, shop workers, builders well, just about everyone is finding it harder to get by. While well, Morgan Stanley's CEO paid himself 21.5 million pounds last year. And UK banks paid out 15 billion pounds in bonuses. Labour is a growing movement of well over half a million members and a government in waiting that will work for the many. So when they say we're a threat, they're right. We're a threat to a damaging and failed system that's rigged for the few.
0: Okay, so that was uh, Jeremy Corbyn there, speaking about the financial crisis 10 years on and its impact on society and how things still need to change. Yeah,
1: fairly straightforward, just a, a structural well, critique of. I
0: mean, it's certainly what you'd expect from a left wing politician. You probably, yeah. you know, that's, that's fair enough to say. What did Stephen Pollard have to say about it? Well, he said, been hesitating to tweet this. Why, why, Stephen, have you been hesitating to tweet this take? Uh, because I keep thinking it can't be. Surely it can't be. But the more I think about it, the more it seems it really is. This is nudge nudge. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? And yes, I do. It's appalling. It's basically saying that video that you just listened to there from uh, Jeremy Corbyn, it's all about anti-Semitism. And he's talking about Jews, really.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's... It's kind of fascinating. His, his basic position here is that this, and indeed anything Jeremy Corbyn talks about, must be primarily motivated by the main thing he's interested in, which is, of course, due hatred.
0: <laughs> it's unbelievable that he went in on this. Of course, he got massive backlash for this.
1: Yeah, it's been completely ratioed, right?
0: Uh, yeah, and he actually came back. I mean, credit where credit's due, he did kind of take the criticism on board. He said, I accept all the criticism of this tweet and that I may be way off beam. But this is what happens when anti-Semitism is allowed to flourish. And when an anti-Semite leads a party, you start to read his every word through that prism, even if the words aren't about Jews.
1: It's kind of fascinating. so saying it? it's not his fault. His thing is, well, uh, he's saying, okay, maybe it wasn't anti-Semitic, but since he is an anti-Semite, technically everything he does is anti-Semitic.
0: I didn't get out the quote before. I've got it now. Uh, that uh, about Douglas Murray's book in Stephen Pollard's review in the Jewish Chronicle. The Strange Death of Europe is the name of the book. We and mentioned it, it's it on It's worth mentioning.
1: For. Douglas Murray's book is basically just a restatement of the whole Eurasia conspiracy theory. White that, genocide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That the Muslims are flooding our shores and that they're us us. all. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, Western it, culture will be destroyed. That whole kind of canard for basically open white supremacy.
0: Pollard described that book as a serious measured reportage as the foundation of a serious measured argument. Anyway, we're going to move on from that there. We've put it out there. What have we got coming up from you, Alex? We haven't actually mentioned the main story tonight. Let's just go straight into it.
1: Yes, so the other side of the long game Labour has been playing on Brexit is beginning to come into focus now, uh, after Emily Thornberry told Henry Mance and Jim Packard at the Financial Times on Friday that a Brexit deal the Labour Party can support is, quote, just not going to happen. Uh, now, this is in response to the current negotiations uh, with the EU revolving around the very begrudging settlement in the Conservative Party on the uh, Chequers deal of what their party line is going to be on how they're going to be approaching uh, these negotiations and on the fairly frosty reception it's received from the EU. You know, what's emerging from this failing to live up to the six tests laid out by shadow Brexit Secretary Keir Starmer, who laid these out as the things that have to be in place for Labour to accept a you know a brexit deal that they will vote on does ensure a strong and collaborative future relationship with the eu does it deliver the quote exact same benefits as we currently have as members of the single market and customs union does it ensure the fair management of migration in the interests of the economy and communities does it defend rights and protections and present a race to the bottom does it protect national security and our capacity to tackle cross-border crime Does it deliver for all regions and nations of the UK? Now, these tests were laid out in early 2017. They basically lay out that the the Brexit, that the various leave campaign groups kind of promised that the UK would be able to have a Brexit of almost no consequences, where we would get everything we wanted and also like whatever sovereignty anxieties these people had. Uh, And indeed, Manson-Pickard at the FT specifically say, the party argues that it's reasonable to demand a deal that provides the, quote, exact same benefits from Europe as EU membership, given that the phrase was first used by David Davis, the former Brexit secretary. And uh, obviously, Keir Starmer said at the time, the Prime Minister should be under no illusion that Labour will not support a deal that fails to reflect core British values and the six tests I have set out today. So... Emily Thornberry says, uh, as of last Friday, I can't see them coming back with a deal that's going to meet our six tests, and I can't see them coming back with a deal that will unite the Tory party. Uh, she also criticizes the vagueness of the Chequers deal even before the rebellions by Tory MPs. Uh, so this kind of gets into really what the Labour long game has clearly been for quite some time now, which is to be to give them a standard for a Brexit that they promised but that they would clearly never meet and make that contingent for being you know what would make Labour support Brexit so it's a fairly straightforward thing holding them to the standards that they could never meet and then using their inability to meet that as going okay so we said that we would support a the right Brexit and we've you know we laid out exactly what a right Brexit would be and we basically agreed with what the Leave campaign said would be the case as being acceptable they have failed to deliver a you know a just brexit a brexit that we can support and it was it was fairly transparent that this was always what it was going to be that they didn't they wanted their brexit supporting uh, voters to not be able to say you never wanted brexit to succeed from yeah. the beginning they they laid out specifically what an acceptable brexit to them would be and, you know, that obviously involved kind of throwing uh, the claims of the Leave campaign back in their face. And I, I think- mean, it was
0: obvious to you and me and a fair few other people, I'd argue, but not to some people.
1: You're right. It was not obvious to some of the greatest geniuses on Twitter.
0: <laughs> Alistair Campbell being one, he said, Imagine if they had worked out two years ago the tests, he's meaning the six tests put out by um, Keir Starmer there, were never ever going to be met, and instead campaigned on the basis none of Labour's other plans can be met if this nonsense act of self-harm goes ahead. Um, This kind of, you know, this was what they were going to always... Those are the logical conclusion of Labour's approach to this.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what you have to appreciate is that uh, it was being done by a party led by Jeremy Corbyn, which is, of course, unacceptable to Alistair Campbell, no matter what happens. Uh, But also, I think it... I think it says a lot there, the kind of expectation of a lack of guile. That he's like, well, why didn't... If they knew that it was going to fail in the first place, why didn't they just campaign against it uh, harder? And it's like, well, because they needed it to fail to justify their position. Like, it's its extremely straightforward. And, like, he's just being dense. But there are a lot of, like, uh, you know, follow back pro Europe people on, like, in the commentariat who have completely bought into the idea that uh, you know Labour and Jeremy Corbyn were absolutely hard Brexiteers, maybe even more pro-Brexit than Theresa May and the Conservatives, which is... <laughs> the how...
0: people like voting for it primarily and pushing it through primarily.
1: Yeah, 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 because you have to appreciate that Theresa May doesn't want to uh, vote for uh, the Brexit that she's voting for. But Jeremy Corbyn... Does want the Brexit he campaigned against and argued against. It makes total sense if you're trying to justify that you don't like Jeremy Corbyn and will be voting Tory soon. Uh, like, but also identify as very, very heavily pro-EU. It, it's a, you know, th- this is the kind of thing that like real piercing political insiders like uh, Eddie Marsden uh, would kind of be really pushing. So it's, it's kind of fascinating to see, like, the slowest kids, like, in the classroom, finally catching up to what's going to happen, and even though it still hasn't quite percolated through in a lot of places. Yeah, it's, it's just his whole thing. Like, imagine if they'd worked out two years ago the tests were never ever going to be met. I mean, maybe, just throwing this out there, they deliberately put the tests up knowing that they were never going to be met and gave the Conservative Party enough rope to hang itself? Like, the idea that that would possibly be the case just doesn't appear to, like, because as I said, like, Alistair Campbell is being disingenuous here, but there are thousands and thousands of people, all of whom have, like, constantly caps-locked Twitter feeds, like, who genuinely seem to buy that logic. It's it's just kind of fascinating to me. On the other hand, you have seen uh, from Sonny Hundle, who writes for The Independent, and I've, I've not agreed with Sonny Handel and stuff in the past. Um, so his take has been, As a strong Remainer, I find it odd when fellow Remainers attack the La- Labour leadership for not being against Brexit enough. It's unnecessary and gui- misguided. Here's why. The Corbyn-McDonald clans classic triangulation. Of course they won't admit to it, but the leadership doesn't want to lose the mostly working class vote that are strong Leavers. Will they attract Tory Remainers to replace them? Seems doubtful. Which is the most obvious thing in the world. Of course tories who are pro-remain will hold their nose and vote for the tory party as they push forward the eu over essentially voting their like massively hoarded wealth away like of course they're not going to vote for a properly left-wing labor party uh and the quickest way to annoy its leavers is by telling them their vote didn't count for the labor leadership Brexit is not as big a concern as transforming the economy. That's the project they're building coalition of voters for. He also highlights that the trade unions are against Brexit, which obviously is very influential in the left of the party. Um, and that while, like, Corbyn and McDonald's ambivalence towards Brexit uh, is certainly very apparent, um, you know, they were always going to specifically adopt a softer line in order to try and maintain this balancing act. And so you know he makes a fairly straightforward argument that was eventually vindicated by the Emily Thornberry uh, interview, uh, which you know just kind of laid out the obvious as to Labour's tactics here. And they're, you know it's, I think it's just that these people have identified that Jeremy Corbyn is such a terror, such an objectively bad politician that there's no way he can b- actually be engaging in political manoeuvring. Because if, like, if it was, it would inevitably fuck up. And what they haven't grasped is that the messaging has been so on point that even they fell for it.
0: I mean, we're going to see this vote take place eventually. It's hard to guess when it's going to be, but I presume it's going to be sometime in the next two months, right?
1: I mean, you would assume, uh, but... (laughs) They're going to drag it out long? Well, there has
0: to be soon. Like, it should have happened already.
1: Yeah, it should have, but never... Like never, give the, like, never give these people the credit that they can actually make something come together on schedule. Yeah.
0: So when we get there, I'm sure we'll find out. But anyway, we'll move on to another story now, what I'm going to talk about. Pretty quickly, it's been rolling for a few days, I managed to pick up some traction. There's some developments on it today from Mr Michael Gove that we'll come on to. But we'll start at the beginning, because that's a good uh, yeah, place to a start. A
1: balloon-lipped boy. <laughs>
0: we'll start here with the Conservative Party... In the European Parliament, at uh, 19 MEPs, I think they have, 19 MEPs, yeah. There was a vote to censure Viktor Orban. Who is Viktor Orban? He is the um, leader in Hungary. He's probably the most far-right leader currently in power in Europe. One of the most far-right anyway. There are swelling far-right movements and far-right parties in those countries. Yeah,
1: mostly in like Eastern Bloc countries yeah. like that.
0: And Victor Orban is leader of, what's the name of this party that he
1: is in? Uh, Fidesz, isn't Fidesz,
0: it? Fidesz, yeah. And let's just go through a number of things about this guy so we can set the set this home. Um, he's called Migrants Poison. But yeah, he, he's massively anti-immigration. They banned certain media outlets uh, from not even being critical, from just, just banning, you know, taking away their licenses to be able to operate. Very authoritarian and it's increasingly more authoritarian as things go on.
1: It's also worth mentioning, he ran his campaign with a constant, like undercurrent of anti-Semitism. In particular, running against uh, George Soros. oh um, uh, yeah. The who famously is a bugbear of far-right anti-Semitism for a you know huge swath of the international right. They basically believe he's funding every single vaguely left-wing thing that goes on, uh, including. You know, uh, Antifa demonstrations, the Hillary campaign. They've also um,
0: uh, brought in a law which is kind of like they call the Soros Law or whatever. There's no funding to be allowed of activist groups that help immigrants. Um, so there's that as well. Anyway, the European Parliament were moving to censor him. That happened this week. And this is the story. The Tories were the only governing Conservative Party in Western Europe to vote en masse in support of Viktor Orban's far-right government. Analysis of votes by The Independent. And Here con- we go. The Conservatives whipped their 19 MEPs to oppose action against Hungary, with just one defiantly voting for the motion. Um, and this was it actually passed by a two-thirds majority, 448 to 197, to start what they call the Article 7 process against Hungary, which has been accused of violating press freedoms, undermining judicial independence, and waging an anti-Semitic campaign against a leading Jewish businessman, George Which Soros. they
1: absolutely did. And... Uh, Here's the actual quote that uh, Orban gave back in March.
0: Because we've we've heard about anti-Semitism in this country, on the left, on the right, particularly in the Labour Party recently, or on the left, and that's the kind of context we've got. But let's hear what this is.
1: We are fighting an enemy that is different from us, not open but hiding, not straightforward but crafty, not honest but base. Not national, but international. Does not believe in working, but speculates with money. Does not have its own homeland, but feels it owns the whole world, Orban said. Uh, And he also refers to uh, uh, George Soros' Uncle George, and compared him to the Ottoman Empire and the Soviet Union. Uh, So very, very anti-Semitic there, and like openly so. Obviously... The Soros thing is the thing that kind of the right spectrum engages in all the time. The Telegraph has waded into it hugely. The Spectator has gotten into it on stuff like this. The the right being, like, massively anti-Semitic like this is... uh, Like, this is what right-wing anti-Semitism looks like, and it is extremely open, and it is extremely, like, fucking bad. It's worth mentioning, of course, that um, he has also... Uh, met with Benjamin Netanyahu of the country that he said in that statement doesn't exist because uh, the people he's talking about are nationless, and told uh, Israel that Jews in his country can feel safe. But I'm not quite sure how he can make that claim in good faith when he is specifically like riling up anti-Semitic fervor against them. I, I think that to take him in good faith there is would be a real... Like a real issue. He's said specifically that there would be a zero tolerance for anti-Semitism and that, quote, all of the Jewish citizens in Hungary are under the protection of the government.
0: I mean, that's where we're at. We've got the Conservative Party, the Tories, in, uh, in the European Parliament, their MEPs, voting to effectively support Viktor Orban in this instance. You know, this isn't, this isn't the first time that we've seen this sort of thing happening. Uh, Boris Johnson tweeted um, after the Hungarian elections, I think earlier this year, saying congratulations to Fidesz and Viktor Orban on winning the elections in Hungary. We look forward to working with our Hungarian friends to further develop our close partnership. Now, some people are saying the reason why they did this, the reason why they chose to support uh, the Hungarian leader in this way, is because they need people like him on side in the Brexit negotiations, because they know that he is sufficiently Eurosceptic as well, and they need someone like him that's gonna vote through their deal or whatever's gonna happen. They need people like him on side for getting Brexit through.
1: That is true. It's also worth mentioning that this is kind of under, under-reported on, uh, but the Conservatives in the European Parliament are aligned with a block of fairly far-right politicians yeah. anyway. They, they used are... to
0: be... D- David Cameron, originally, when David Cameron back came to power, the, con- the Conservatives were in the European People's Party group. And that's the it's the largest group in the... European Parliament, and it's the most influential for that reason. Um, he actually took them out of that group and put them into uh, European Conservatives for Reform, um, the ECR for short. And, like, that's where you say that, you know, it's a little bit more reactionary and there's more going on in terms of Euroscepticism there.
1: I mean, we say a little bit more. Their their claims of being uh, for reform is a euphemism. It's a lot of very far right parties. Typically the furthest right major parties in whatever countries they reside in.
0: There's also um, the uh, EFDD, uh, Europeans for Direct Democracy, and there's a few other far-right European groups as well, mention them. But uh, there's also this that came through from... I think I saw it on BuzzFeed. Uh, Downing Street has privately told Conservative MEPs to distance themselves from Viktor Orban after they provoked outrage by voting in support of Hungary's authoritarian right-wing government on Wednesday. So now we've got leaked WhatsApp chats from Downing Street to the Conservative MEP saying, guys, uh, this looks really bad. Uh, Can you not do this again? Or at least just distance yourself from Viktor Orban. This morning on the Andrew Marr Show... We've got Michael Gove um, having to kind of do the same, or at least apologise to some degree. And we're going to hear from him
3: now. My view is, my view is that it, it's a, the British are traditionally accused of playing divide and rule and picking off individual countries. But I'm not going to play is, that game. And what? I'm not going to go down the route of. Uh, I, I have views, as I'm okay, sure you do as they? well. What are they? No, but I'm not going to be drawn on my. By individual because, European leaders because you need his support no because I think that it would be wrong for me at a time when uh, We need solidarity against a number of different threats. You mentioned anti-semitism We need to make sure that our voice is clear our position on these issues is absolutely uh, uh, you know uh, uh, clear and resonant and I don't believe that uh, uh, Individual criticisms of the kind that you're understandably tempted me to make necessarily help us in ensuring that we get both Solidarity on the issues that count and the best deal for Britain as we leave the European Union. I suppose the point I'm making in a circuitous way is that we've had a lot of conversations in this country about anti-Semitism in British politics. And Jeremy Corbyn has been under a lot of criticism for that. Here you are, as a party, voting alongside the most prominent anti-Semitic politician, xenophobic politician, somebody who, as I say, has described migrants as poison. And that's been the Conservative parties. We, have, we have No, I think it's. You, have, you voted with him. No, no, it's not the case that we voted to support him. It is the case that the MEPs declined on this occasion, as they have on, on a number of occasions mm. in the past. And there were people from a variety of different parties and a variety of different countries that, de- so, that declined so, to do so. But that is very, very far from endorsing or supporting the position that he takes. So why does your good friend, long-time friend Danny Finkelstein, Lord Finkelstein, a Conservative peer, describe this vote as very distressing and a shameful thing to have happened? Well, I have enormous respect for Danny and um, I won't um, I wouldn't criticise Danny
0: so that was Michael Gove there on the Andrew Marr show kind of really just being a slippery fish not really actually owning up to what's happened there
1: like he says it in the most muddled way he possibly can Yeah, there's a bit in
0: the middle about him saying yeah we've got lots of issues that we need to tackle we need a united voice on one of those is anti-semitism like you've just said Um, so yeah we're going to back the most anti-semitic prominent politician in Europe
1: because the 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 only meaning you can kind of come away from that discussion with is him openly saying, like, well, yes, there's anti-Semitism, there's also a Brexit vote, and we need to find a balance between these two. Like, it's it's fairly... Like, otherwise, what he said was completely meaningless, as opposed to just garbled nonsense. Like, say what you want ab- about, like, the Labour left and about Jeremy Corbyn's record. He has never done anything even as close to this, as as, a, as opposed to... Like, you know, what he's done, which is typically, uh, like, trying to be the lone voice in the room for Palestinians uh, in regards to their various conflicts. What we have here instead is the use of institutional power to try and get an open and vocal anti-Semite off the hook. It's extremely, like, it's extremely disconcerting. One, that they're being given such a pass on this. This is not an anti-Semitism crisis. Within the Conservative Party, you'll notice this is a alarming vote that some of their members took.
0: Yeah, but it's not just one or two; it's like the whole group. Yeah, were whipped to, to do so. And I mean, we just to give some context here: um, some other the other parties that uh, voted in a similar way to the Tories. Um, Not really any... I don't think there's really the the moderate Conservatives, if you will, in the European Parliament doing the same. No, no. We've got uh, UKIP, Nigel Farage, voting to oppose the motion. I mean, that figures. We've got Poland's Law and Justice Party, another one that might even receive Article 7 action soon in a similar way. Um, We've got Italy's League, uh, formerly the Northern League, um, who are now in power uh, underneath Matteo Salvini. France's recently rebranded National Front. Front National.
1: Christ.
0: And groups like the Sweden Democrats and the Austrian FPOE. Uh,
1: the it? Sweden Democrats are like openly like neo-Nazi or have a history of open neo-Nazism, right?
0: Pretty. Yeah. I mean, the, all of these groups, you know, they're, they're rooted in histories yeah, of obviously far right. The
1: National Front uh, in France was obviously also like an openly fascist party that are now just kind of hintingly anti-immigrant
0: and, and recently anti-Semitic as well. Okay, so we'll see how that one goes down.
1: Yeah, this is this is the company the party of government keeps. And it's it's astonishing, again, how much of a relative pass they are given.
0: You know, this has received uh, criticism from the board of deputies, a Jewish group. Yes. uh, And also from the Muslim Council of Britain, because uh, Victor Orban's also spoken about uh, Muslims in similar ways as well. But it gives context to the kind of racial um, and r- discussions around racism in this country and the political parties that's been going on for the past year. You know, a key part of that being anti-Semitism um, and, you know, how it's treated on the yeah. left and on the right.
1: And about what is or is not anti-Semitism. And do, do you know what's anti-Semitism? It's like decrying how your enemies are like usurious and hide from the shadows and have no country there. You know, rootless cosmopolitans, as you might call them. Yeah. Like, the, the, that kind of thing is deeply anti Semitic. And supporting that, trying to help him get away scot free based on that, it's a level of anti Semitism that we haven't even seen anything close to representing from anyone even nearly as, like, senior as any of the people involved in this in the Labour Party. It's not even really a comparison that you can make. There's yeah. just been nothing of this scale. I mean, Peter
0: Oborn, you know, he's a, a right-wing guy. Um, certainly, you know, not a lefty of any sort. He, um, he is a Daily Mail columnist. And he tweeted earlier on, he, he, alongside his column. Uh, finally, in my Mail column, just imagine the reaction if Jeremy Corbyn had thrown a lifeline to virulent anti-Semite Victor Orban. That's exactly what Theresa May's Tories did last week.
1: Which is correct, and, like, all credit to him for being intellectually honest on that front. It's astonishing that, one, they would think that this is a good tactical move to make. Like, whether or not Viktor Orban is, like, sceptical about the EU, and he is, and he's, you know, he certainly follows, for instance, the right general antipathy towards the EU, um... The idea that it necessarily follows from that that he will support them in peeling out seems like a weird thing to bet on, certainly with regards to your credibility on questions of anti-Semitism.
0: Anyway, we're going to finish up there. Um, I'm actually going to quickly mention one thing. You've seen this Times uh, story about Michael Foot, have you? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I It's have. actually ridiculous. Michael Foot, former Labour leader, um, lost in the 1983 general election to Margaret Thatcher, um, probably the most left-wing person to lead the Labour Party um, before Jeremy Corbyn turning up this year. He uh, took legal action against the Times in I think 1994 or 5, I think it's 95, it might be 94. um, Obviously he's sadly passed away now, but back in the 90s, um, the Times published an article basically saying "Oh, he was actually paid by the Soviet Union, he was a Soviet spy. And he took legal action for, you know, defamation, for, for libel, or whatever, and he won it. And, I, you know, I, I'd imagine they had to pay him compensation of some sort.
1: Yeah, oh, typical. Calls himself a socialist but sues someone for money. Hypocrite.
0: Uh, what have the Times done today? Reprinted the story, basically. They've just re- literally rehashed it. Um, Solomon Hughes, uh, a, a journalist, uh, private eye magazine, Vice, you know, a bunch of others. He tweeted this. John Withero. He's the current Times editor. He was acting Sunday Times editor in 94 to 95. when That Michael Foote story um, happened and he successfully sued the paper for it. Um, it was a Foot was KGB agent story. In 2012, Witherow actually admitted to Leveson in the Leveson inquiry that the story was just bogus and it was complete bullshit. But that's fine. In 2018, here is John Withrow at the Times running it again.
1: Oh, I hope they get fucking sued again.
0: Well, do you know why they can't? Because can't sue someone for defamation if the person's dead.
1: Oh. so there's, like the There's family- no libel
0: for the dead. So now that he's dead, they're like, yeah, let's just run it again. But you can see why they're running again now. Michael Foote didn't die yesterday, did he? No. Michael Foote died a while back. So they're running it again now because, you know, they're, they're trying to associate a, a left-wing person with being in the pay of the soviet union or you know you can tell it's insinuating you know jeremy corbyn yeah
1: because it didn't work last time they did it with corbyn i mean yeah they did the exact same story with corbyn and it didn't work yeah featuring a source who declared that he was the real brains behind live aid
0: (laughs) you know sometimes the times does some really interesting journalism and sometimes it does complete shit. and here's a good example of that
1: yeah, this stuff like this is why like what was formerly a paper of record is completely fucking going to the dogs because yeah. they're wading in with just terrible, clearly like editorially mandated shit like this.
0: Let's leave it there. This has been Off the Fence. Catch us on soundcloud.com slash off the fence and connect with us on Twitter as well. Uh, twitter.com slash off the fence talk at Off the Fence Talk. Anything anything else that finally happens, let us know about it. We'd like to hear it from you. I've been James Fox. I've been Alex Maskell. Cheers.